0: The football season is almost here. This is Warren Sharp, and here at Sharp Football Analysis, there is no dead season. We've been working literally for months writing our 2022 football preview. And I will promise you this this book is the fastest way for you to get smart for the upcoming season, period. I'm going to give you $5 off right now that's not offered anywhere else to use on your copy this book is over 550 pages full color And previews all 32 NFL teams. It's got comprehensive fantasy football analysis. It's got every single line and total for every single game that's going to be played this upcoming season. All the way through to week 18. It's got forecasted win totals. It's got betting advice. It's got predictions for the upcoming season. And so much more. We're talking deep dives into all 32 teams and much much more there is simply nothing like this preview in the industry and i can promise you that so order your copy right now at sharpfootballanalysis.com and use coupon code angles that is a-n-g-l-e-s use coupon code angles and you will save five dollars off your price go over to sharpfootballanalysis.com and pick up your copy today
1: Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. We're just over a week away from the NFL season, and it's time for the third installment of our season-long player props. This time focusing on receivers and tight ends. But before we dig into those props, I just wanted to quickly plug some other content I'm producing for the site this year. If you're into college football this season, I'll be writing a few articles each week, breaking down the biggest games, and giving out my favorite bet from that matchup. Uh, We got things started off on a great note last week. Went 3-0 in week zero. And I've already got one article up this week for Thursday, uh, the return of the backyard brawl between Pitt and West Virginia. So if you're into betting on a little bit of college football also, be sure to check those out. Let's now dive into some of the receiver props that I like for this season. And I'll start things off with my favorite one from this group and maybe my favorite overall. Uh, And that's the over on Jalen Waddell's receiving yards. Uh, The over for this, the lowest that I've uh, seen out there right now is 904 and a half. And that's quite a bit lower than he had last year. He went over a thousand yards last year and he needed only 16 games to do it. But obviously the reason why this number has dropped a bit from what he produced last year was the addition of Tyreek Hill. Waddle saw um, 140 targets last season and I think it's pretty safe to say that he's not going to duplicate that number with Hill in the fold as well but that doesn't scare me away from this at all because he's got a massive upgrade in the coaching staff I, I think last year's coaching staff was uh, borderline incompetent at least when it comes to how they used Waddle their best weapon on offense his greatest strength as a player is his ability to produce after the catch and a with a great coaching staff down at alabama that's exactly how they used him in fact he he didn't really run a full route tree that was one of the knocks on him as a prospect was um or i guess i should say not necessarily a knock but it was an unknown um because he did not run a full route tree. a huge huge percentage of his targets relative to other big time prospects was on Stuff right around the line of scrimmage, jet sweep pass, screens, quick slants, stuff like that. That was how he was used in the offense because he's so dynamic after the catch. Um, and you can demonstrate that with, I've, I've referenced stats like this before on the website and on some previous podcasts, but route adjusted data is really great for seeing how good a player is after the catch because obviously um, different routes are going to produce different types of yak numbers a screen for almost anybody is going to produce some yak you can throw a screen to a tight end and he's going to run for a few yards a curl throw to your fa- a curl to your fastest receiver and he could still easily get stopped for zero yards so route adjusted data here is really helpful and in college wild produced 44 percent more yak than expected based on that route adjusted data Easily one of the best we've seen in recent years among college players. As a rookie last year in the NFL, he produced 13.5% less yak than expected. And that really boils down to how they were using him. Now, maybe some of that, a small a portion of that drop-off is him just being a rookie and getting used to NFL speed and whatnot. That's, that could certainly factor in a little bit. But such a, for a player of his skill set to... Be underperforming to producing less yak than expected. That's on the coaching staff. They're not putting him in good positions. And we further have evidence to that because the Dolphins, as a whole, as a team, they rank dead last and yak uh, produced above expected. Now, enter Mike McDaniel coming in from the Kyle Shanahan offense. And that offensive coaching staff are masters at manipulating the defense to create yak opportunities for their weapons. The 49ers led the league in yak above expected last season. And I mentioned the Dolphins ranked dead last. So he there's going to be a night and day difference in terms of how he's used and how they put him into positions to be successful after the catch. And so he doesn't need to replicate last year's 140 targets to fly past uh, the over on this. I don't think he averaged 9.7 yards per reception last year which is pretty low for a player who is as dynamic as him, a guy who can stretch the field a little bit, and a guy who can produce after the catch. Just, I think, to demonstrate what he can potentially do, let's just look at Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk in the 49ers offense last year. Debo averaged 18.2 yards per reception. That's almost double what Waddle did. And they're slightly different types of players. Debo's maybe a little bit more physical of a runner than Waddle is capable of being, but... Certainly two guys that are dynamic after the catch. And then Brandon Ayuk, fourteen point eight yards are yards per reception last year. It's about a five yard jump from what uh Waddle did last year in Miami. So if he approaches that, even if he doesn't quite get to either of those numbers, even if he's averaging, you know, thirteen and a half yards per reception or something like that, you know, that's a huge leap from last year. He does not need to see the volume. Um, I think this number is really a reflection on the expected decrease in volume, which I certainly agree with, but he's going to be so much more productive on a per reception basis in the Mike McDaniels offense uh, that I think the drop off in targets does not matter at all. And I think he easily clears that 904 receiving yards. All right, so the next player over that I like, I'm going to stick with a similar thing, a player that I just mentioned, Brandon Ayuk. I like the over on his uh, 749 and a half receiving yards. Now, he went over this number last year, 826 receiving yards. Didn't go over by a ton, obviously, um, but I'm surprised to see a lower number posted this season than he produced last year because San Francisco has basically the same receiving core returning. There no meaningful changes. Um, And I think his usage could actually increase. You know, George Kittle is getting a little bit older. He has a little bit of an injury history, Uh, certainly reasonable to think that he could miss some time um, or that they could maybe uh, lighten his workload a little bit to keep him fresh in certain games. Um, And then there's likely to be some usage regression for Debo Samuel, who was probably overworked a little bit last year uh, with 180 targets plus carries. And, as I mentioned, IOK excelled in the offense last year. He's a perfect fit for the offense. Already went over the numbers as far as how the 49ers like to uh, lean on their guys to produce Yak. And IOK was great in that area. He picked up 32% more Yak than expected based on that route adjusted data that I mentioned. That was the eighth best in the league. You know, he sort of gets overshadowed a little bit because Debo is the best. He led the league in Yak over expected, but IOK was great as well. This is a skill set of his, and it's It's not just the 49ers offense. Now, they are definitely putting him in positions to be successful, but this was a trait he demonstrated in college too. Using that same route-adjusted data, he produced 39% more yak than expected in his final season at Arizona State. So this was a skill set that he demonstrated in college. It was probably a really significant factor in them targeting him in the draft uh, because they want to build their offense around these types of players. So assuming Debo's usage gets scaled back even just a little bit, I think Aook is likely to benefit from that because he does provide uh, a similar skill set. Yeah, yeah, Obviously, they, they look a little bit different the way that they run. They're not the same type of player, but they are two guys who can produce after the catch. So they want to get the ball in the hands of those types of players. So if Debo's going to see a few fewer targets this season, I think Ayuk probably benefits from that. Um, so I don't see any reason to think he's going to see a drop-off in production. As I said, he had 826 receiving yards last year and uh, the uh, over-under is set to 749 right now, so I definitely like the over. I think he easily replicates, if not exceeds, last year's number. Okay, so the last over that I like among the receivers, it's the over for Rashad Bateman, and it's the best number I've seen here is 825. Um, he didn't play a full season last year, so he didn't quite come close to this number, but over 17 games, he was on pace for 730 yards. Now, obviously, that would have been the under, but really big change in Baltimore is that Marquise Brown is no longer there and they basically didn't bring in anybody meaningful. Uh, Bateman is going to enter the season as their number one receiver. There's no doubt about it. And last year, Brown, as their number one receiver, topped a thousand yards. So he doesn't even need to be as productive as Brown in that role to hit the over on this 825, which I'm surprised to see such a big difference between what Brown did last year in this role and what Bateman is uh, num what his number is available at, especially because I think Bateman might be a better fit for the role. Uh, he's a little bit bigger, um, and he's certainly proven to be a more reliable downfield pass catcher, which is something that the Ravens want. You know, with as much as their offense focuses on the run game, in order to open things up a little bit, they want to stretch the field when they pass the ball. Um, and so Brown was able to do that with his speed, but he's just not a reliable pass catcher down the field. He only caught 71% of his catchable targets at 10 or more yards downfield last year. Rashawn Bateman caught 83%. And the difference between these two uh, held true in college also. Bateman caught 81% of his catchable targets at 10 or more yards downfield. Marquise Brown only 74%. So Bateman has established himself as a more reliable pass catcher down the field uh, throughout his pro and college career. And so knowing that the Ravens do want their number one receiver to be a guy who stretches the field so that they can kind of uh, reduce the, the log jam up front as teams try to stack the box to run the ball. Um, I think he's potentially more effective. And so even if he has similar usage to Marquise Brown, he might exceed Brown's production. And you know, if he's more effective in this role, if he does prove to be more reliable on those plays, he might also use earn more usage. So they could actually start to throw the ball a little bit more if Bateman does establish himself as a legitimate threat and more reliable than uh, Brown was, who was obviously a big play threat, but also a little bit unreliable as to whether or not he was actually going to come down with the ball once it was his, went, went his direction. So I think Bateman, assuming he stays healthy, fairly easily clears that 825 receiving yards. Okay, now let's jump to the unders. Um, And just like I said last week, if you listen to last week's pod on the running backs, I just want to preface this by saying just because I'm taking an under on someone, oftentimes it doesn't mean that I'm expecting them to have a worse season than last year or I'm expecting them to underperform. It's really just a reaction to the number, which is often determined by usage. Players can have a good season and still hit the under if their usage has changed a little bit. So a lot of these are really just a reflection of how I think they're going to be used as opposed to how effective I think they're going to be. Um, so we'll start out with a player that I like, Albert Akuae um, I'll call him Albert O the rest of the way, so I don't have to say that again. Uh, his over-under receiving yards is set to 525. Um, and I think there was a little bit of a boost in excitement about him after Tim Patrick Patrick, uh, went down with an injury Um, because obviously that creates a path to some pass-catching opportunities, and he's been productive occasionally uh, when he's had opportunities in the past. Um, But he's still, at best, the third option, and even that's unclear. Obviously, he's behind Corlin Sutton and Jerry Judy. Um, But then KJ Hamler is going to be in the mix as well with Tim Patrick's injury probably clears a more obvious path to opportunities for Hamler, who uh, will certainly be given an opportunity to uh, be the third weapon in this offense, I would think. Um, And then Alberto is going to be, you know, in that third or fourth option mix. But there's another really big factor here, and that's Greg Dulcich, the third round pick, the tight end they drafted out of UCLA. Um, Now, he is going to start the year on the IR, um, which is another reason why I think there's a little bit more optimism about Albert O's production this season. But if you were following this injury at all in the preseason, you know that it was sort of unclear as to whether or not he would actually need to go on the IR. So he's going to miss at least four weeks because they did place him on the IR. But based on the fact that it was, there was, seemed to be some hope that he would be ready for the start of the season recently, I'm going to assume this is not going to linger too deep into the season, and maybe we see him back as early as week five. Um, and when he does come back, I think he's a legitimate threat uh, to take opportunities away from Alberto. Now, obviously, he's, he's going to have an opportunity to challenge for the starting job, uh, and he may just at some point this season win the starting job, and, uh, in which case you know, hitting the under here would probably be pretty easy because uh, we're not going to see Russell Wilson's backup tight end clear 500 receiving yards. Um, so if Dulcich wins the job at some point this season, we probably win this bet. But even if he doesn't, he's a different type of weapon. And so even if he they, they're sort of like 1A and 1B at tight end, I think both of them see targets, uh, which which hurts both of them a lot, because the tight end is probably not going to play a huge role in this offense, because it really never has over the course of Russell Wilson's career. But just to get into some numbers on how these guys are different, Dulcich is just so much more explosive. He averaged seventeen point six yards per reception in his college career at UCLA. Albert O. Oh, in his first two seasons in the NFL averaged ten point three yards per reception. And even in college, in a fairly dynamic offense at Missouri, he averaged twelve point one yards per reception. So he just isn't really. He's a decent athlete. His forty time was great for a tight end. He is. Um, You know, he is a threat if he gets a lane, but he's not the dynamic athlete. He's more of a straight line athlete, whereas Dulcich is probably a little bit more of a true weapon after the catch. And so I think Dulcich is going to get opportunities, even if he's sort of plugged in as like that one B pass catching tight end and Alberto maybe sees more snaps. I do think Dulcich gets on the field. Uh, You know, maybe he comes out of the field on the third downs more often, and he starts he sees some more uh, pass catching opportunities. Um, So I I do expect him to cut into Alberto's opportunities this season. And then, as I mentioned, Russell Wilson he just doesn't have a a great history with tight end. In fact, he's only had two seasons in which a tight end topped five hundred and twenty five passing yards, and that was twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen with Jimmy Graham when Jimmy Graham was not necessarily at his peak, but still reasonably productive uh, at that point in his time with Seattle. So Wilson has played with much more established tight end before. And even then only twice did Graham go over that 525 yard mark. Uh, Wilson just tends to not look for the tight end that often. Obviously we know Wilson likes to take his time and take shots downfield. And he's got Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton to handle those opportunities. Uh, so I don't expect a huge workload for Alberto this season. so I like the under his 525 receiving yards. Sticking with another theme here, uh, I'll go with Tyler Lockett's under as well. Um, and obviously the loss of Russell Wilson is a big factor here. Uh, the best number I've seen here is 825 yards and you know it's a it's a huge downgrade. It sounds like Geno Smith is going to start the year, uh, but Drew Locke is certainly a possibility to play at some point. Um, and that's a big drop off in terms of their ability to throw downfield. And that's going to hurt Lockett a lot, um, especially relative to what he did last year. It's going to hurt my too. Um, but relative to what those two guys did last season, Lockett is the one that's probably going to see the biggest drop off just to throw out some numbers on the quarterbacks. Wilson has a 45% career completion rate at 15 or more yards downfield, uh, Geno Smith, 39%. Drew Lock, 36%. Those are some pretty ugly numbers if you're down in the 30s throwing downfield, and that's going to hurt both Metcalf and Lockett, but Lockett especially because of how uh, explosive he was last year in the offense. He had a career year, and even if Wilson were back, he was going to see some regression because deep ball production is really volatile from season to season, and Uh, Tyler Lockett led the league in yards gained on targets 20 or more yards downfield last season. He had 715 yards gained on the deep ball. That accounted for 61% of his yardage, despite only making up 26% of his targets. So that was going to decline no matter what, even if Russell Wilson came back he was going to see a drop off in his deep ball production because that just doesn't stay steady from year to year. He had over a hundred more yards on the deep ball than any other receiver in the league last season. Nobody, nobody replicates those numbers on a year to year basis. It's not about uh, talent. I mean, Lockett could would still be a productive downfield weapon, but there's just too much volatility. There's a little bit of luck involved in the deep ball and you don't replicate that type of uh, extreme production from year to year. So, knowing that the deep ball is volatile and he was going to see a regression on those plays anyway and there's a huge downgrade at quarterback i think that he's in a really tough spot this year i think 825 yards is going to be a tough number for him to clear so i'm on the under for tyler lockett's receiving yards this season all right we've got one last under that i like and this one might be a little bit more controversial and so i want to go back to what i said at the top this is not about predicting a player to have a bad season it's really about usage because I'm an under for Stefan Diggs receptions the Bills have one of the best passing offenses in the league you can make an argument it's the best I think um, but I just think that they're going to throw the ball less this season and it has a lot to do with Brian Dable no longer being there um, if you look at their passing game it really evolved a lot over the four seasons that Dable was there and some of that was about bringing josh allen along slowly obviously his decision making was a liability his first two seasons in the league so that was part of it but dayball definitely was the driving force in making them become more aggressive over the past two seasons Um, and he's no longer in the building which is really important because dayball probably had more sway over sean mcdermott Uh, Than Ken Dorsey will. When Dable got to Buffalo, Buffalo was his fifth job between college and the NFL as an offensive coordinator. So he had more experience, and McDermott was probably a little bit more willing to be hands off and trust him when Dable wanted to push them to become a more aggressive uh, passing attack. And Dorsey, a first time play caller, is probably not going to have that same sway over McDermott. He's just not going to have that trust. He's going to have to earn it. Even though Dorsey is you know, been around, uh, since he hasn't called plays, he's just not going to have the same trust from McDermott most likely that Dayball did. And so knowing that McDermott is a little bit more conservative by nature, more inclined to lean on the run. I think that's just going to suppress the bills passing game, uh, because McDermott's probably going to be a little bit more involved in pushing them to be a conservative offense. Um, when, when they have the opportunity to be, and just to back this up with some numbers a little bit, sort of demonstrate how aggressive they were when they played with a double digit lead last season, the bill's pass rate was still 49%. That's that's, that's borderline too aggressive when you think about it. I mean, they probably should run the ball a little bit more. You could argue uh, when they're playing with a significant lead, but Dable was really aggressive. He wanted to throw the ball Um, and that helped pad the stats for the bill's passing game. Um, And so. I think that, you know, Diggs is going to have a really good year, but I'm just not sure that he's going to have the opportunities with McDermott likely uh, forcing them to be a little bit more conservative and probably run the ball more often. And the Bills' schedule is obviously a factor in this as well. They, right now, they are not an underdog in any game on their schedule. So, assuming we're right in thinking McDermott is going to push them to be a little bit more conservative he's very likely to have a lot of game scripts that allow him to be conservative so i would expect everyone on the bills everyone involved in the bills passing game this year to have their stats suppressed a little bit um, but Diggs is the one that i'm really that is the best uh, number that i've seen out there for betting the under because last year he played 17 games and he only got to 103 receptions. I say only, but I mean that's a that's a big number but only in regards to the fact that he needed 100 he needed 17 games in an aggressive offense to just barely clear that 99.5 where he's at this year. If he's in a less aggressive offense, I mean it's pretty easy to see how he could still be extremely efficient on a per target basis and still go under that 99 receptions, So I don't think he gets 100 receptions again uh, this season. I think McDermott kind of slows down this offense a little bit. It might still be a great offense. It probably will be, uh, but it's just not quite going to be as aggressive as past season. So I really like the under on Diggs 99 receptions this season. So that wraps up uh, this week's podcast. If you missed out on our quarterback and running back podcast from the past two weeks, you can certainly go back and listen to those. Um, I don't believe we've had any injuries or anything like that to affect the players uh, that were mentioned on those podcasts. So those are definitely worth going back and checking out before the season starts if you have not done so already. And as I mentioned at the top, um, if you're into college football, be sure to check out my college football uh, game breakdowns every week i'll be going over the biggest games of the week and giving you at least one bet i like on each of those big matchups and then i'll be back next week and we'll start to dive into some actual uh, game matchups week one of the nfl uh we'll get that podcast to you next week so take it easy and we'll see you next week